interested in business. You eat, sleep, and breathe it. You can't get enough of it. And you've been looking for a place where the real pros come to talk about it. Well, you found your new home. This is the Leopard Spots Podcast. Presented by Leopard Hill Strategies, a boutique consultancy focused on helping banks, fintechs, and new ventures navigate their risk and operations challenges. You're going to hear from the founders, the owners, investors, and senior executives who've seen and done it all. We'll cover banking, fintechs, new ventures, general industry, and sports. So get ready to eavesdrop on the pros talking about being pros. This is the Leopard Spots Podcast. Now your host, Ryan Simo. Welcome back to the Leopard Spots Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Simo. As always, thank you so much for your support, your likes and subscribes. It means a lot to me. This next guest was a real treat for me, and that is Brian Mormon, the former punter of the Buffalo Bills, longtime NFL veteran. He was uh, incredible to talk to, and as a punter, selfishly, when I was in college, I punted, I love talking to fellow punters. So we geeked out a little bit about punting and different types of kicks and things of that sort, different punters, but it was a really great conversation. We covered Brian's time in Buffalo, his time in the NFL. Generally, we talked a lot about what he's been doing since the business that he's involved with now, as well as the foundation that he started in Western New York called the Punt Foundation, which helped kids with pediatric cancer, as well as a new philanthropy he's created down in Jacksonville, where he now resides. So it was a really wide ranging conversation, a really great time to catch up and to understand what he's been up to. He is a legend in the Buffalo area for those who are not from here listening. He was a true legend for the Buffalo Bills. And as you'll hear at the very top of the podcast, so many of the accolades that he's received during his very, very long career in the NFL. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Brian as much as I did. So without uh, further delay, I give to you Brian Mormon, former punter of the Buffalo Bills. Welcome to the show, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm doing very well. And and I thought I would start with uh, some similarities that you and I have that you may not know, but they they start and stop pretty quickly. And so we both punted in college. We were both number eight. We were both born in 1976, but that's pretty much where everything stops because you went on to a highly decorated 13-year career in the NFL, named first team All-Pro in 06 and 07, named to the NFL's All-Decade team for the 2000s, and most recently, by the way, congratulations, nominated for the NFL Hall of Fame class of 2024, which is outstanding. And during all that time, I ended up going into banking. So we took very divergent paths, but uh, there were some similarities there. So I thought I would bring those up, which is interesting. And, and I live in Buffalo and you used to live here as well. So so let's jump into it. And, and what I'd love to know is tell us about you, where you started, where you're from, and really how your path to football got started, if you can tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, if you want to go the full path to football, obviously it started, you know, way back in middle school, but right. oh, I don't want to be like that. But seriously, though, I did start then. It's, uh, you know, I always had that passion to play football and I, I just wanted to play sports. It was, it was uh, just something that was super important to me, but I wanted to, once I got to be in the seventh grade, our, our middle school, or was it actually a junior high, what they called it was only seventh and eighth. So football didn't start for me until I was 13. And I was lucky enough that the high school coaches at the time would even let me go practice with the the high schoolers when the two days were happening. And, and that was a, a challenge, obviously back then it was, you know, I grew up in Kansas. So it was 110 degrees in the afternoon or six 30 in the morning. And 
seems like all the football teams do now. I mean, we, our, our middle school team was up all summer. I got to give them credit. They're getting up and, and we were at practice at 6 a.m. all summer here in Florida. So it's changed a lot, but you know, we don't do the tour days and stuff like that like we used to. So that was something that was an eye opener for me and, and I loved every minute of it. And then I, I got to obviously move through high school. We played eight football at the time. It was a small town. All yeah, right. An adjustment. It's funny now, even coaching football like the like I'm doing now is is a learning curve for me with with 11 man uh, offensive calls and, and things like that I could coach an eight-man team all day long but I've been very lucky to have a guy that was in Buffalo with me for a very short time but then went on to play for the Packers and the Raiders as a, as a coach here he's taught me a ton and so that's been fun this year and obviously I think we'll get into that a little bit later but a lot of people always think especially in Buffalo they, they think you're from Pitt. no 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 Pittsburgh Kansas and and by the way I'm from Pennsylvania originally so when you know years ago when I first heard about Pittsburgh State which, by the way, I think has the best mascot in all of sport, the gorillas. Is it still the gorillas? Yep, they're still the gorillas. And yes, I would I would agree with you. <laughs> argue that till, till my death because I think it's the best mascot. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Um, Incredible. A lot of fun. And I was just back there on campus last weekend. And what a great atmosphere. You know, if anybody's ever looking to go from, you know, just not just athletics, but a great campus and a great school. It's a great college. So it's um, kind of a hidden gem there in southeast Kansas. Excellent. So you so you end up now. Were you punting and you were punting an eight man football in in high school? I, yeah, it's funny. My passion was kicking more than punting. I was actually telling my son the other day because he was starting to show a little interest in punting, but a much better long snapper. But he, uh, I was telling him, I said, "Well, you got to get a soccer shoe on." And he's like, "Well, I don't want to wear two different shoes." I was like, "A kicking shoe," and I wore on my right foot, and I didn't care what anybody said. Right. <laughs> That was important to me. And, and so punting was one of those deals that the senior, you know, got to do. I got to punt some as a uh, sophomore, mm-hmm. a little bit. I had like two or three or five punts or something like that as a sophomore, a few as a junior. But then as a senior, you know, I took it over and, and did it. But I don't have any stats from that. It was stats from my sophomore year. I think I averaged 15 yards a punt. That was kind of how I mean, punting never really happened until I, I actually went on a track scholarship. Like I said, mm-hmm. I wanted and I, I fell over hurdle and broke my wrist. So I had a cast up to my, my elbow, past my elbow. And I started kicking field goals while I was bored in the spring. And I was going to walk on as a kicker because I, I knew I had the leg for that. Right. And I just didn't have necessarily the accuracy, but we had like nine guys walk on as kickers and nobody was punting. And I was like, <laughs> well, the numbers don't add up to me. I mean, and, and definitely <laughs> punting. So I will punt and kick off because uh, I could out kick off anybody at the time. And that's how it worked out. We had a, a kicker that was extremely accurate and very good. Honestly, I think could have played in the NFL uh, after being in the, in the league a long time and being around a lot of great kickers. I think he would have been great too, but you know, so I kicked off and punted and, and had a good career. It was an all American each year and never, ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would, you know, end up in the NFL. I just kind of went along. I, my, my purpose was to get my education and get mm-hmm. my degree and go on. But as things moved forward, you know, I got a couple workouts there at the end i thought hey this might this might work out and i only had three tryouts Jeez. you know seattle was one of them and the redskins i, I just lied there four um baltimore at the time yeah washington and then um the chiefs i think gave me a courtesy workout because they were so close <laughs> right see exactly right across the border yeah exactly yeah so you were doing that and then you, you so senior year did you know when you got the workouts how far before that were you, was it sometime during your senior year, sometime maybe during your junior year, you thought, you know what, I'm getting some looks here. I'm, I, I know I can do this, or I think I can do this. A few scouts would come around, but I always figured they were watching somebody else. You know, so the workouts actually came after the season was over and, and 
ironically, I found, you know, teams would send letters to our, one of our coaches, but I, it just didn't happen that much there. And I found out later that they had been sending letters to the team and I never got them. I'm lucky. You know, I think that they, they continued to find me and, and Pete Rodriguez was a special teams coach in, in Seattle. And, uh, you know, I owe him a lot just to giving me a shot, coming down, working me out in Southeast Kansas, going to lunch together and, and then signing me and, and giving me a shot to bring me to camp. And that was a, an experience in and of itself. I was just thrilled to be there. Probably just a little wide-eyed and not understanding my my place. To me, mm -hmm. it's, I, don't, I don't think it's not I, – I, I'm sure it's special to every young guy that gets that opportunity. I don't think my story is unique. Was, it was very, very special. And, you know, it didn't work out. I didn't – I thought I was going to be on the practice squad, and it didn't work out. And then I went to Europe. They allocated me to Europe, came back. I actually didn't – I punted pretty well, but I kind of pulled my hamstring, so I didn't really get much – time and so it didn't work out again went back to Europe again luckily my coach um, with the Berlin Thunder said hey you had a great year I want you to come back and punt for me again we can run some fakes we can do this and then luckily Buffalo called and I decided between them and the Rams and I made the right decision yeah you certainly did and that's an incredible it's an incredible story and and so let's kind of jump into that part now so Buffalo comes calling and that really began the bulk of your career what 95 percent of your career was spent in Buffalo I know you spent a little bit of time in Dallas one year and then came back to Buffalo. So you were here and left and came back. When you think back on your time in Buffalo, let's focus on that here. Well, let me ask you first, first and foremost, when you got to the NFL, when you made the roster and you were out there playing, did you felt like you belonged? I mean, you were watching these other punters. You were seeing what they were doing. Obviously, the team felt you belonged. Did you feel at the time that you belonged? I would say yes and no. And my agent used to give me a hard time because I always, I always believed somebody was always going to be working harder somewhere else or mm -hmm. i would always say god man i i just want to punt as well as him and and it just drove me to keep working the technique and working mm -hmm. um and driving to to be a better punter and so maybe i sold myself short a little bit sometimes and you know i think there's a fine line between doing that too much and not being confident i, I certainly had the confidence that i belonged yes every time i still wanted to make sure i understood that I was, I had to try out every week, James, and you're trying out every week. And especially in that position, you can get away with a few bad punts here and there, but if you start consistently hitting them poor, then they're going to start knocking on the door and, and, you know, they're going to start bringing guys in and it's kind of nerve wracking. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you obviously you played at a much different level than I did it being in, in the NFL, but you're, you're exactly right. I remember thinking at the time in college, I was in what was then called division one double a, but now FCS. But there were, and, and certainly nowadays, it's gotten different. Now there are so many people specializing, right? Yes. When I was playing in the mid-90s, you know, I got there basically playing soccer and tennis and yep. just stumbled into it, just like similar to yep. you with track. Right. And now you've got camps, you've got specialization. So it's just a much different ball game these days. And so there's always somebody knocking on the door, no question about it. I think it has taken the punting game and kicking game to a whole new level. I mean, these guys have been specializing in it for so long. The ones right. that their mind to it and really work the technique train like athletes i know everyone i mean thinks oh well you're not an athlete you're a kicker that's bs i mean mm -hmm. we were athletes too i mean i, I mean myself yep. I, I, I ran track i took a lot of pride in being a true athlete now i didn't get that kind of respect always from people they think you're just a specialist but right. you know you a guy like josh bidwell i mean he was a linebacker i mean if, if you remember that name he mm -hmm. was yeah linebacker in college you know and he started punting and there was you know a ton of other guys you could name you know just rattle off what great athletes they were tom tupa was a tom tupa was a quarterback randall cunningham was a quarterback and also punted at unlv yeah so yeah. and um actually had a, like a 91 yard punt for the yeah, he did actually that one rolled a long way <laughs> yeah it did 
but yeah so i mean now though these kids are they're specialized from a very young age they're going like you said going to these camps they're working mm-hmm. the technique they're figuring it out they're very talented and you know i'm just baffled at how far and how well oh they- yeah I was just at the Jaguars game the other day, um, yesterday, you know, we were just, I'm just amazed at, you know, like McManus, I played against him whenever he came in the league. He's always had a big leg, but these guys are just kicking 53 yard field goals, three quarters of the way up the net. That's nuts. A 53 yard field goal used to be like, Oh, I don't know. We don't know if we should try that anymore. And now it's like, Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like a no brainer. So they're very, very good. And, and, you know, and the punters, like Logan Cook is is a phenomenal punter, and for him, he's very very good at what he does. But even watching, you know, the kid from the Giants against the oh yeah, the lefty guy, yeah, yeah, and he he rolls out and kicks one sixty something yards. Like, <laughs> yeah. If I ever tried to roll out and kick one, matter of fact, if you want to really go back in time, you know, I had a bad snap, I caught it, I rolled out against the Jets late in my career, and I kicked it two yards. <laughs> well, if it makes you, know, you feel any better, I had a perfect yeah. snap one time and kicked it three. So yeah. I was, <laughs> Yeah, we've all got those stories. Right? Yeah. Well, speaking of stories, I mean, I I, I had asked a few uh, colleagues around uh, Buffalo. I said I was going to be doing this podcast. I said, "Do you have any questions?" And so okay. there there were there were two questions that came up. One we can you can take whichever one you want and in, in whatever order you'd like. But one was you know what was your most memorable moment playing in Buffalo because it's a very unique place to play, obviously. And then the second one, which I hate to bring this one up, but you know he asked. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. I know. What the, you know what it is. The all-pro game, Sean Taylor, uh, rest oh, in peace. But Sean Taylor uh, hit you. And I got to be honest, it hurt when I watched it. And But you popped right up. So if you want to talk about that first or last or not, <laughs> then talk about your most memorable moment in Buffalo. Yeah, we can talk about that first just real quick. Um, it, it's the one that everybody wants to, and, it, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. That one's going to stay, I think, in people's front of people's mind. Mainly, uh, you know, some people are Sean Taylor fans. They think, oh, it's amazing you annihilated the punter. I give him credit. Yeah. It was a good clean hit, and, and I actually take a lot of pride in the fact that I didn't, you know, break in half. And I, and I did joke with um, the Reebok rep at the time. I said, man, that's the best advertising you guys have ever had, and my feet were in there. Like, how long? I mean, you know, so it's that thing, you know, Looking back on that, you know, able to take that and, and experience that, and, and the fact that you know it comes up every year, and it, it for the wrong reasons because I hate that it, what happened to him happened to him, but right. I think it would still come up anyway, especially since the Pro Bowl is is no longer what it was, and they would certainly still pull that, <laughs> pull that, <laughs> yeah, right. to say this is what it used to be, and that's not true. We not very many guys took that kind of a shot in the Pro Bowl. Oh no, geez, not at all. You couldn't take that uh-huh. shot in a regular season now without probably getting a penalty. Uh, no, I, and I did take a few of those long before they uh, said that, you know, obviously they changed those rules. You can't do that to the kickers anymore. And right. so that was when I was, I mean, I'm a, I'm a buck 79 and I'll soaking wet. You know? so <laughs> they knew I was trying to try track them down if they were going to break free. So sometimes guys would peel back and I took some bigger shots than that. I would argue like guys from uh, like, again, Lamont Jordan running back for the Jets. Oh, sure. Yeah. He peeled around one time and, and, Literally, I think I still to this day think he knocked me out because I just remember looking up and the trainer was over. And I was like, oh, my God. But yeah, different era. Yeah. So so that would be your so that wouldn't be a overly fond uh, memory, obviously. But what was your what was your fondest memory of playing in Buffalo? Or is there what's your favorite part about playing in Buffalo? Either one. Well, I mean, it's hard to just pick one. I can tell you that the first time I ever walked down the tunnel and saw somebody wearing my jersey. 
Oh, right. They still wear them, by the way. I was at the games the last couple of weeks, so they still have them. I get pictures. You know, people text me. And as a matter of fact, somebody texted me from London and someone was walking down the street in London with my jersey on. That's and great. Like, that never gets old. And no. It's, uh, it's a huge honor. And the first time I w- was coming out the tunnel to, to go warm up and I saw an eight in the stands and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. That's, uh, you know, I'll never forget that. I, and I, I'll tell you that not just that one, but anybody that ever thought uh, I want to buy the number eight, that's pretty dang cool. And, you know, I, I'll hold that close to my heart for a long, long time. But, you know, and along those lines, when I came back to Buffalo in 2013, you know, to, to play again and the welcoming that the fans gave me, that I'll never leave my heart and my mind. It was an amazing, amazing greeting that they gave when I, I came on the field to punt. And then just the fact that I was like, man, I, that was the best punt I think of my career. I'm just <laughs> like... 5.8 hang time. I timed it like a thousand times just because to prove it to myself. Right. And it went out to one. I mean, you're being, you're. A oh player. gosh. I mean, that's yeah. the Nirvana of yeah. punts right there. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. nice tight spiral. It wasn't yep. one of the rugby kicks that we do now and yep. all that just high hang time coffin corner kick. That's and, and Yep. And, and you know, the funny thing is we were talking earlier about just people not thinking that punters are athletes and such, but you know, I don't know if you watch now, uh, Pat McAfee does this kick for 30,000 or $60,000 on college game day, because he always gets over people who are saying, uh, oh, kickers are terrible and they get out there and they can barely get the ball off the ground. It's an art. I mean, and you, obviously you had perfected yeah. it, but it's an art and it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Not only when you're there by yourself, but certainly when there's 11 people or 10 people running at you half the time. So it's tough to do. It really is. And and people don't realize it. And it's it's not just punting, but you know, sure. the field and the snapping. Yep. And I don't think people give enough credit to the snappers and how good they really are. And I was lucky to have some really great snappers. Um, you know, Garrison Sanborn was there for a long time. Sure. Was a phenomenal snapper and Mike Schneck before him and others. But and it's funny because I actually talk to my son about that all the time. He doesn't think being a long snapper is cool. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, they are very they nobody really gives them any credit. But man, they're important. Game-winning goals, punts from the you know from the one and the back of the end zone. It's important stuff. Yeah, very important. Well, let me ask you this though, on the subject of coaching, just before we kind of veer out of off of football a little bit into kind of what you're doing today and the business and the foundation. But how do you keep yourself? I mean, you mentioned it earlier. You keep yourself connected to the game because you're coaching right now. Sounds like your son's involved in it too. I assume you get a lot of pleasure out of doing that. What's the biggest thing off the field that you try to instill in these kids? What sort of lessons are you teaching them from what you learned during your time in the NFL and playing in college? I think just a believing in yourself and having the confidence to come out every day and try and work harder and, and, and get a little bit better and attention to detail. I think it's hard. You know, I'm working with 12, 13 and 14 year olds and they, they lose focus easily. And, and sometimes I think we probably overcoach because there's myself, another NFL veteran and mm-hmm. another D one player. Actually, and then, you know, one of the other coaches played D one years ago too. So mm-hmm. we're all like, you know, super passionate and trying to like, we want them to understand where, what it takes to get to the next level and play at high school and college and beyond if they want understanding that not everybody will. Right. I mean, it's right. just, but I mean, I just think there are so many things you can learn from, you know, football and just being around it and, and, and being part of the team in sports in general. Right. Um, so, you know, trying to teach them those things and, and hopefully they take something away from that this year. You know, you don't know who you've affected until maybe later on down the road that they say, Hey, remember when you said this one thing, but that's really most thing, you know, just trying to teach them the important things, the little mm-hmm. things. Yep. Absolutely. Um, they take something away from it. No doubt. You decide to retire. Uh, I believe it was in 20, you have to correct me on the date here. 
2014, right? So 2014, you decide to retire. And then did you have, did you kind of know what you wanted to get into? I know right now, obviously, you're the owner of, uh, I think it's called First Coast Sotheby's International Realty in the Jacksonville area, which we'll get into. When you left football, though, did you know that was going to be your path? Or did you? Okay, you didn't. So talk us through, talk us through the time you left, and then the time you what you were doing and how you got into the real estate business and certainly in what the hottest market, certainly in the country, I believe since, since the pandemic. Yeah. So it's funny when you said I retired or I decided to retire in 2014, yeah. the joke with my son and I is that when he was that age, I think he was gosh, four or five years old. And he asked me, dad, why did, why did you get retired? Anybody really is ready to, your body says differently. I was actually still punting the ball very, very well, except it just didn't last as, you know, like my body wouldn't last as long. You no know, calves would cramp up at the end of the game or whatever else. And it is what it is. And, you know, so I, I mean, that transition is, is difficult. You know, I mean, it's all I knew was football. And, you know, so I wasn't really sure. I always knew something was going to, I mean, I was confident something was going to come up. I, I met a lot of great people along the way. And I didn't really know what was going to go on. And I, I just, I knew I wanted to work and I knew what I wanted a job. Ironically, my brother-in-law is a real estate attorney and he just said, Hey, and it was actually my last year of playing football and real estate license. You'll know a lot of people, you can get referrals and you know, Hey, I, I know a good realtor and blah, blah, blah. And so in training camp in Rochester at St. John Fisher, I got my real estate license. Yeah. Right. While everyone else was in meetings, I was studying and it's not that difficult really. I mean, there's a lot to it, a lot of memorization and a lot of things you got to learn and know and understand, but mostly it's relationships and it's mm-hmm. and I, I love talking to people and getting to know people. And, and so that's worked out well. So when I got to, to Florida, I wasn't really sure that's what I was going to do, but I had my license. And, and then one of you know, my very best friends and one of the best people in the world, um, Nathaniel Hackett came to be. The- I coached his uh, son in soccer briefly in Orchard Park youth. Yeah. Yeah. So he came down here and I called him. I, once he got hired and, I, and I, I called him, I was like, Hey man, I, in the business, you, you guys want to go look at houses? And he's like, oh, absolutely. So I got to give him credit, man. He's, he sprung board me into the real estate world and, and the real estate business. And he was my first sale. So and I ended up selling Brian Anger's house down here. Who's the punter that is yeah. now in Dallas and great guy, and a lot of different coaches and things through that time. And now it's just kind of gone through, you know, where I live in my neighborhood and on beyond um, Ponte Vedra, St. Augustine, and the island and so forth. So it's been, it's been good. Now, did I ever think I'd be a real estate agent? No, I do like to like grow. And I really, really enjoyed being able to coach other agents and being part of, you know, like you said, owning the company, we mm-hmm. actually hired about a year and a half ago by a, a bigger uh, firm out of Miami. Once mm-hmm. other came in, came and said that they wanted to expand down the coast and it just seemed like the right time. I've got a phenomenal team that works with me that I want to focus on my team. And so I just try and, you know, develop business and, and work with them and try and build their business. And and it's been very rewarding. And I don't have a hundred agents anymore as a brokerage I've got. So it's that's great. Gives me a little time to go play, go coach football and so forth. Yeah. And so, well, let's just talk real quickly. We could about the the market just in general. I mean, and yeah. you know, this is what are you seeing? I mean, rates are higher than they've been. Gosh, it's got to be almost 30 years. It seems. Well, what do you, what are you seeing down there? Things are um, certainly slowing down. I, I'm sure they are up North as well. And yeah. uh, I'm seeing buyers are a lot more particular. They certainly are taking their time. And then when they do put something on their contract, they're, you know, they're not as willing to just say, Oh, I'll just take it the way it is and move on and, and figure it out. Cause I just need a house or you know, I don't know if any other house is going to come up. They're willing to wait and see what else might come up. 
So I think what what really comes down to is that we're, we're, we're normalizing, we're getting Mm -hmm. back to what I would call what was normal in terms of a, a real estate cycle and what we saw for years you know it's like things pick up at certain times of the year it's different here than it is up north obviously we're a right. little bit more consistent throughout the year but you know the interest rates are certainly playing a big role in where buyers are what their thought process is and it's and and sellers aren't quite ready to and that buyers are thinking differently either you know they're they're say well I'm, I'm expecting an offer in a week i never say never i mean you're still buyers on the sideline waiting for that right house to come up not willing to certainly um, overpay unless it's special done and maybe new and or remodeled or on this special location. And right. all, all we hear about real estate, right? But the rates themselves that people, that's the other things, inventory still low. A lot of people that aren't willing to put their house on the market because they, if they go somewhere else, then they're going to have to have a higher rate. They're cash buyers, different deal. You know, they're willing to do that and they can maybe put in cash and, and get a better deal. So definitely change the, the market significantly to have this this rate increase and of course you know other economic pressures i have to get a mortgage then probably in a worse position than i thought i was going to be and so they're sometimes they're staying put right that's part of the issue yes. and they're not moving let's if we could as we as we kind of come to to a close here i'd love to talk about the foundation that you and your wife started the punt foundation which is very prevalent here obviously in western new york and it's there to support uh kids with pediatric cancer I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about how that came to be and anything that you'd like to share there. We'll link to it in the show notes for anybody who'd like to support, but talk a little bit about the Punt Foundation if you could. We started that charity back in 2004 and it really just stemmed from meeting some young uh, patients. Uh, I I was very involved with uh, another organization called Carly's Club. Mm -hmm. Got to know Carly really well and her family. And and then as I got more involved with them, then I decided, hey, I, I wanted to go up and start visiting with families up at the hospital there at Roswell and on Tuesdays of my day off and, and got to know more and more and started talking and saying, okay, well, I see another need, so let's start our own. And so we... We decided to start Punt by, you know, with just a few programs, you know, one little fundraiser downtown. We, we called it the, the original thought was to call it the toe jam, but I thought that's not good. <laughs> so jam, and it was just a karaoke contest. We, we raised about $10,000 and, and um, tried to start some programs and, and start to do some good and, and, and some things that we felt like were, were needed. And then as time went, career kept moving on and we kept building the foundation and, and adding more programs from from the adoptive family at, at Christmas. We had one family and, and eventually by the time I left Buffalo, there were, you know, 70 plus families. Wow. A girl on our staff, uh, Bridget Moffat at the time, her was our uh, maiden name. She, she did a great job of growing that and, and had, was super passionate about that. And, and so got to give her a lot of credit, but we're just proud of the programs we started, everything from direct financial assistance to, to bereavement support and so forth. And, and it's, it's an organization that I think I'm very proud of, you know, as, as we were leaving, um, I decided, you know, I'm going to, I want this thing to go on. We're not going to live in Buffalo probably forever. We came down to Florida where my family is and, and, you know, we are going to live down here, but I want it if, and I was afraid that it would not go on if uh, some other people didn't jump in onto it. And so I took my name off of it because it, it was Brian Mormon's punt foundation. I thought, well, other players won't want to be part of that. Maybe other players will jump on board. And they did like Harrison Sanborn was, was one of those guys that kind of took the reins and uh, Lee Smith was another. And now of course, Dawson Knox has really become extremely passionate about the cause. And I, I uh, say enough about him. So we don't get back much, extremely proud of what we built. 
We're extremely proud of how it's helping children in Western New York. And I, I love and miss all the kids and families that we met through the years. And I stay in touch with a lot of them. We've started something down here because with my business here, you know, we still love the community. So I don't know if you remember when we were playing, I had a banner up with the other guys, you know, we always had banners on the, the, yep. uh, mine was Mormon's Miracles. Yep. So we started Mormon's Miracles Foundation down here to give back to, to Jackson, the Jacksonville community. So instead of starting programs, we grant money back, but I'm still extremely passionate about children battling cancer. So, um, one of the, one of the organizations we always support is the J fund because they, mm -hmm. uh, they helped us a ton whenever we were starting up there in Buffalo and they have a lot of similar programs in there they're doing wonderful things here in, in Northeast Florida. So um, I'm still get the opportunity to go out and visit kids at the hospital here in Jacksonville. Sometimes they've invited, they invited me up recently. That was very rewarding and I get a lot more out of it than they do. I think and quite honestly, the, the kids are amazing. They're just always smiling. And that was, uh, that's what got it started in, in Buffalo. And we're, we're proud to be doing something down here as well. Well, it's an incredible, it's an incredible foundation. I'm glad that you're also doing something down there. I mean, I think it means a lot to the, to the community here. And so thank you for doing that. As we wrap up here, I always ask every guest and this question, you know, when you think about the time that you've now spent in business, what's the, in your mind, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give somebody who maybe is looking to start their own business, right? So you went from the NFL into your career in real estate. There are people that listen to this podcast who are sitting, let's say in corporate America or in some job, but they may not like the industry they're in. They're thinking about going into doing something different. What's your one piece of advice for people making that transition? Don't let anybody tell you you can't. Certainly, if you have a dream that you want to go after, you've got to you've got to do it. I right. mean, uh, you know, I think, you know, similar things that I tell the kids now, it's just it, it, all it really stems down to is Stay in, keep you know, stay on the path, stay on the right path, having a good attention to detail, and be confident in what your abilities are. And you know, I, I just think that uh, from that standpoint, you know, I think that's really, really paid off for me in my business now. It's just what, when I walk in the room, I'm 100% sure I can, I'm going to land that listing, and I, I believe in what I'm, what I'm, I've accomplished, what I can do. And and if I don't, then it's not going to upset me back. You've got to find, you, you know, live on this other day. I'm going to find, uh, learn from that. Uh, be successful down the road. So, well, now I appreciate it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This is a real pleasure. And uh, I thank you for your time. I know you're a really busy person. So good luck. The uh, obviously the balance of this year with the, with the business, Brian, thanks again for joining the podcast. Anytime. Uh, thanks for having me. I Great. Thanks. You've been listening to the leopard spots podcast presented by leopard hill strategies ryan was a senior level leader for 25 years in banking at fortune 500 companies and is now the founder and president of his own consultancy leopard hill strategies his passion is business and talking about business so if banking fintechs new ventures general industry and sports are your thing this is where to come to listen to the best of the best we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon, but make sure to visit us at leopardhillstrategies.com. Find us on LinkedIn, and remember to subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time on the Leopard Spots Podcast.